are we doing? Good? Swell? Doing well? We're doing well. We're all doing well now. Yeah, that's a great song. I think, you know, just reminds me, as even every time I sing it, no matter what the situation is out there, no matter what's going on, is it well with our soul? Because we know who's in charge, right? Amen to that. Before I get into the message, um, I wanted to re-announce. We announced it last week and uh, forgot to put it in the announcements this week, so it's not Mark's fault. It's my fault. It's my fault. Um, uh, Missions trip's coming up to Guatemala, and we got a whole crew going to Guatemala. I'm not sure what the numbers are now, Sarah. Do we know numbers? It's over 10, 10 to 15 or so going to Guatemala, and a bunch of people from here and a couple people from the community are going on that trip, and so they need to raise some funds because it is getting expensive to get out of this place, isn't it? <laughs> right? If you traveled recently, it's getting expensive just to get out of this place. So they need some funds to get down there and then to also accomplish the work they're working with a children's home that we support, and there'll be some kiddos there that they'll get to meet that this church supports on a monthly basis, so that's exciting, and they can give a report on that when they get back. Um, but Fundraising, fundraising, we want to help them out with that. So in the um, cafe where the coffee makers are and stuff like that, um, there are two different ways that you can give. There's a wall full of envelopes there, and uh, there's a wall full, and they've got numbers on them, like one to 100 kind of thing, and some of them taken, so I don't know what numbers are left, but there's a bunch of them still up there um, with numbers on them. What you do is you, if you feel led, you take one of those envelopes and you put that amount of money in the envelope. And then you can put it in the, the box or um, uh, we'll, we'll, there may be a, there a collection basket in the cafe. So you can put that in there and that goes straight towards their trip. There's also a, surge, a service project presentation there as well. They're going to serve the kids and the families down at that home. And they want to also serve our community as they're raising funds for that. So there's all sorts of things. You can write down what kind of service project you need at the house. We've got a lot of teenagers and younger going and some, uh, f- some families going. So think about that for projects. We're not looking to replace roofs and things like that. Uh, but whatever you would like to give towards a donation towards that little service project, maybe at your house or a neighbor's house, you can sponsor that. And um, they will be happy to put that on their calendar and go serve our community as well. So two different ways that you can um, help out with that trip. So I wanted to make sure we said that before we get into the message. And really, I mean, that's, that's the gospel, right? We go and we serve. We serve in different ways. We, we preach the good news and we serve with our hands, and that's all included in the gospel work. So we look forward to that, that trip and what they're going to uh, bring back in a report for us. Last week, so as we get into the message in the scriptures here, last week, We left with a challenge in the last verse we read in Luke chapter 8, verse 21. Jesus is talking about who's included in his family, who's identified as his family. These are the markers of my family, Jesus says. And it's not my my biological family. That doesn't indicate you're standing within the kingdom of God. Um, But this is who's in my family. These are my brothers and my mother. Those who hear and do the word of God. And that was kind of our challenge after he goes through the, the uh, parable of the sower 
and what it means for those seeds to be cast on the different soils. Uh, then he talks about being a light that shines. We talked about that, but it all boils down to this is the marker. This is the marker of what it means to be in the body of Christ, to be one of God's children. And so we left that last week. Hear and do. Hear and go. Hear the word of God. Hear the word of Jesus. Hear what Jesus, what, what God is telling you, and then you go. Then you go. That's, this is what it boils down to for us. And so this week, we're going to look at this next set, set of passages. This is going to be a lengthy passage that we're going to look at. Actually, I was inspired by Dean a couple weeks ago when he took us through the whole book of Jonah, right, and walked us through that and pulled out some themes from that book. Uh, we're not going to do that. We're not going through the rest of Luke uh, today, but there's a, a, a large section of Scripture. What we usually do is we divide them up into different stories, divide them up into different sermons. We're going to combine this and look at one simple theme today, all right? And the, and the, the contrast is going back to last week. We're going to compare and contrast going back to last week. Who's in the family of God? Those who hear and those who obey. And we're going to look at some things. I will call them things that obey Jesus, all right? And some, some elements and things that obey Jesus and kind of look at our hearts and how quick, ask the question, how quick are we to obey? How quick are we to obey? So the, the chunk of scripture we're going to cover today is Luke chapter eight, starting in verse 22, and we are gonna go all the way to 56, all right? And this covers like three or four stories, incidents in Jesus' life. And we're going to kind of tie them up thematically here. Um, what, what kind of time here do we have? Uh, on Thursday, I look at the clock. On Thursday, we did something fun and uh, had volunteers read the different sections. So I wasn't up here just standing here reading the sections. Anybody game for that today where we, we have different portions read out by you guys? Or do you want me to stand here and read the scriptures to you? Jens is shaking his head. I don't know what the shaking the head was for. Okay, cool. Can I get a volunteer? Can I get a volunteer? And maybe Jens is the first volunteer, right? He, it's, it's his idea. It was all Jens's fault, right? We, we saw that. We witnessed that. And if you're online, if you're watching online, then yes, we're going through Luke 8, 22 through 56. You may not be able to hear all the voices, but whoever's going to stand up and, and read, read it as loud as you can so we can hear it. Uh, 22, Yen's 22 through 25. Okay. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came up the lake, and they were filled with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and they ceased. And there was a calm. And he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who then is this, that he commands even winds and water? And they obey him. Thanks, Jens. Uh, Dean looks like he's ready to go for... <laughs> wow, Here, I like this. I like this. These volunteers. 26. Uh, this is a big one. All the way to 39, Dean. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him 
a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, he fell down before him, and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by a demon in the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. For many demons had entered the earth. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. And the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled, told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demon had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, but they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for you. Amen. Last passage. There's a, a woman in, in our congregation today who would like to read this one. Uh, 40 through 56. Ah, Sarah, okay. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was at death's door. While he was going, going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman, suffering from bleeding for 12 years, who had spent all she had on doctors, yet could not be healed by any, approached him from behind and touched the tassel of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are holding you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me, said Jesus. I know the power has gone out from me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly cured. Daughter, he said, your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone came from the synagogue leader's house saying, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be made well. After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, Stop crying. She is not dead, but asleep. They started laughing at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand, called out, Child, get up. Her spirit returned, and she got up at once. 
Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. All right, thank you very much for those who read the scripture for us. This is the word of the Lord, right? Amen? This is the word of the Lord. So as we get into this passage and these, these different stories, these different stories are all cool stories, right? We, you know, these, these are the kind of stories when, we, when you see a TV show like The Chosen, it's like, oh man, I hope they would really cover that one because they do it really well and they'll, they'll really put Jesus in the moment and, and show us what he was really like. And, and, but what we're looking at today, again, going back to last week, those who are in the family of God, those who are sealed and, and, and say they're the family of God, this is the indicator. Hear and do. Hear and obey what Jesus says or what Jesus does. And in these passages, we see some things that obey the power of Jesus. Whether his spoken word, Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. And Jesus is the word of God. So when Jesus speaks, God is speaking. And what are, the, what are the things? What are the things that are obeying Jesus in these passages? I pull, I'm pulling out four of them. I'm pulling out four things. What are, what are the things that are obeying Jesus in these passages? Demon. The demons. The demons are obeying. Weather. The weather, the elements around us are obeying. The earth is obeying Jesus. Illness. I hear illness. Illness, disease, the biological world, and death obeys Jesus. Yeah, I wasn't quite sure if we were going to get the death one as, as obeying Jesus, but yes, death leaves, death flees when Jesus speaks. Yeah, so we see the elements obey. We see the demons obey. We see diseases obey Jesus at his word, and we see death, death obeys Jesus as well when he speaks, when he's there, when, when God is working. Now, we could, we could, we could finagle, do a little finagling over the responses of these four different things, but as you're reading these scriptures, how quickly do these things obey Jesus? On, on, in general, when you're reading that passage, what? Instantly, immediately, these elements, these things obey the word of God. They obey Jesus. Jesus had just told us, hey, what marks you as being part of my family? When you hear my word and you obey. As we look at these elements immediately obeying Jesus, what does that say to us and how quick are we to obey Jesus? When you see a word in the scriptures as you're reading and studying and, and you're like, oh man, that is so true. I may have to think on that one for a little while <laughs> versus jumping out and obeying. Do we, do we him and haw with God? God, did you really tell me to do that? I mean, anybody, anybody else struggle? I'll put my hands up here. I'm, not, I'm ashamed to put my hands up here, but I'll put my hands up here. Anybody else him and haw at God when he tells you to do something? And you're like, I don't know. I may need a little bit more on that. In contrast to the elements that we see here, the things of this world, who seem to pretty quickly obey what Jesus is asking them to do, right? Pretty quickly. And our response often isn't as quick, which is amazing because what are we? At humanity, what, what are we? We are we're creatures created in the image of God. 
We are the creation created in the image of God. And why is it that the image bearers of God oftentimes have a harder time responding to our creator's word? I don't know. Do you guys struggle with this? I can struggle with this. I can struggle with this and, and being, you know what, Jesus, I, I, now, I know you told me to go over there and uh, I, I need a little bit more, maybe, maybe a few more weeks of, of study when he's like, here it is, Nick, <laughs> just get on it. There's the family in need. They need you just to kind of respond, right? And, and not think about it too too hard because this is what I've told you to do. And so I really kind of just want us to sit a little bit and think about it. We're not going to go into depth in all of these stories. If you look at these stories, I just want us to think about that. The response that the creation has versus our response sometimes. And we're going to talk about what gets in the way of actually hearing and obeying and actually walking in the word of the Lord with a couple of different topics that are very pertinent, I think, for today. Um, and there's some things that we've experienced in our, in our uh, community within the last week. But we look at who obeys, man, creation obeys. We look at Jesus, what he says to us, hey, I just speak and, 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 and walk and, and obey in that. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to. I don't like that, Jesus. And so I want us to sit on that a little bit today. When you, look at, when you look at the people in the stories, just in general, as we look at these, the people, the image bearers in these stories, what are the disciples doing? You know, the, they're, they're going, they're, they're fearful. You know, right? Jesus has said, Jesus has said, hey, we're getting in a boat and we're going across and we're gonna make it across the other side of the lake. That's the plan, that's the goal. This is where we're going. We are going to the other side of the lake. Storm comes up. These guys are fishermen for the most part. A lot of them are fishermen. They live in a boat. They practically live in a boat. And I know the storms. I've heard storms and stories about the Sea of Galilee, and it can get really rough. And, and you hear testimonies about some people who actually sail on it in a storm. They're like, I'd never want to do that again. So there is, there is maybe a little anxiety and fear to be had while you're in this boat. But Jesus had told them, we're going to the other side of the lake. You're sitting in the boat with the Son of God, and he says, hey, this boat is getting to the other side of the lake. And then a storm comes up and kind of proves that you didn't actually hear what he said or take it in literally that, hey, we're actually going to get to the other side of the lake. And the disciples respond in fear. And, and then, even after the storm is calmed, what is their response? Who is this guy? We can't believe this. And they've, they've already started to see miracles. And they've seen Jesus' work. And they've seen what he's said. And this is the disciples' Response, we see, we see Jarius, and he's, he's frantic because his daughter is dying. And this is a serious business. And he comes, and Jesus, I know you can heal him. Please come, please come, please come. Which, he's an interesting character because you think about the synagogues and the leaders in the synagogues, what are they doing? They're getting to the point where, like, Jesus, don't, you can't come speak here anymore. Right? We, we don't like your message. But here's a leader from the synagogue coming. It's like, my, my, my daughter is, is dying. She's on her deathbed. I need, I'm, I'm searching for anything. I'm searching for anything. And what happens, Jesus gets interrupted in that story, right? He, he's walking through a crowd. And, and what most of us want is when we say, Jesus, this is an emergency right now. We're like, pick up your robes, Jesus, and run. And Jesus isn't picking up his robes and running because Jesus is working on his time, right? And not on our time. 
Jesus, Jesus doesn't have to work on our time. He's, he's God, right? God's got the timeline. And anyway, so we, work, we see Jesus working on his time, like there's a little interruption and in him getting there, and, and there's another amazing story in the midst of that. And what happens? Jairus, he gets some bad news. She's, oh, it's too late. It's too late, and oh, I put all my hope in nothing. And he gets probably pretty depressed and dejected and, and questions some things right there. And that's usually our response. Jesus, you didn't act immediately, and now it looks like it's all just a big waste. What was that for? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Who, who am I? Who am I? I'm coming to your house. I, I said I was coming to your house, and, and you're going to see something. And they experienced something amazing. The, the woman who goes and, and touches his robe, what, what a, a touching story for us. And we think about her, and we think, oh, she came in such humility, and, and she didn't want to be noticed, and that those are the qualities we want. I think there's also something going on that's deeper, built in deeper to that story. She's, she's coming, and if she's been bleeding for 12 years, and, and she's a, a good Jewish woman, what does that mean for her? She's unclean. What happens when you're unclean? You stay away. You can't touch anybody. No one wants to touch you. So this woman who's walking in shame, she's walking in shame. She, she doesn't even feel like, I can't, I can't step into the crowd and say, Jesus, I know you are the son of God, and I need some help. I need some healing. She has to kind of skirt in on the side. I think she's kind of walking in some shame and just, man, I hope. It says, Luke, Luke says that she gave all her money away trying to find doctors to heal her. And nothing, nothing was working. And so even within her character, she's approaching Jesus with, with, with shame and, and question, and I just don't even know. And if this doesn't work, if this doesn't work, at least I'm hidden in the background. And nobody knows. Nobody knows. And I can scurry away. And Jesus says, wait, 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 no, no, no. We're, we're, we're stopping this whole production. We're on our way to a town to, to, to raise someone from the dead. No, we're stopping this whole thing because I felt someone's faith as they stepped up, and even though it was broad, and maybe, maybe they were feeling shame as they, they approached, but no, no, this is, this is worthy to stop and address and invite someone in to the family of God. So we see, we see a contrast even within these stories of, of hesitation, of questions, of not, not knowing compared to the elements of this world that recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Now, the demons know who Jesus is, and they respond Right, they, they, they try to do a little finagling too. And hey, you know, we'd really like to have our own way because we know where our ultimate destination is and where you're going to send us, but we don't want to go there yet. And they're, they're headed for the abyss and say, please don't send us there. And so they ask, please, can we go into those pigs? And Jesus says, yeah, sure, you can head on over there. And you've been, the man's been released from you. There's a legion of them. That's like a thousand. That's a, that's a, a soldier's term. It's like a thousand of them in this guy. That's a lot of demons that this man was dealing with. And he sends, Jesus sends him to the pigs. And what happens to the pigs? They go on, they run off the cliff into the waters. And in that day and age, the waters symbolized the abyss. Jesus has authority. They recognize, they know Jesus' authority. The demons, it says in James, James chapter 2, uh, talk, James is talking to us. You believe that God is one, right? Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. 
And James is talking about our, our, our faith and, and what we say and what we think about Jesus and what we think about God and contrasting that to, hey, are you actually walking? Are you actually doing what Jesus says in this earlier verse about hearing, understanding, knowing Jesus and knowing who, who God is and, and uh, actually then walking in that? And that was, that's what James is, is saying. And here we see that, yeah, they respond. The demons respond, they know who Jesus is. They know that he has the authority. The winds and the waves know that Jesus has the authority over them. The disease knows that Jesus has the authority over them. Death knows that Jesus has authority over him, over them. Death, Acts 2, 24 says this about Jesus. God raised him up, ending the pains of death. Because it was not possible for him, Jesus, to be held by death. Because it's not possible for death to hold Jesus, we have the freedom to live as well when we trust in him and walk in life with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So why don't we listen? Why don't we listen? The Bible calls it calls them idols, right? The Bible calls them idols. In that day and age, they'd have little wooden statues or little stone statues and in their houses and their temples and people would bow down to these, these little idols and you'd go to this place and you'd worship this idol. You'd put this thing, this thing above the creator God, right? We have idols all over the place as well. I think we all live in a nation full of idols, right? And, and, and our job is to sort through how do we live in the nation full of idols and things that can grab our attention and actually worship and trust in our one true God and walk in a righteous way. Idols, we can, we can, we can start naming them. These are, these are idols. But basically, basically, idols are improper desires for physical pleasure. Right? Okay, think of that. Proper desires for physical pleasure. Pride, arrogance, love for material possessions, fear of man, and even good things that I want too much of. Those are all kind of a, a general definition of what idols are. And I've got a slide here. This, um, I think I did a slide. There we go. Talks about, th this comes from um, the Ambassadors of Reconciliation, their, their program, talking about idols. And, and when we talk about relationships with one another, often our idols get in, the way, in, get in the way of us having a right relationship with someone else. We all have idols, we all have desires, we all have things that we want, and often those things get in the way of having a clean and pure relationship with someone else. Just like our idols get in the way of us having a true relationship with God, right? If you're elevating something above God, because this is more important in my life right now than actually my relationship with God, that is an idol. That is an idol. So they, they talk about the development of an idol, and they say that uh, it's a slippery slope uh, when we elevate a fear, a desire, or a trust, and we make it into a demand. And they're talking about relationships. When we would demand things of other people, it forms, starts to form these idols and reveals these idols of our heart. And then they've got this whole thing where actually it leads to destruction and destruction relationships and, and sometimes physical death and violence sometimes. But this, it's just kind of, we're not going to major on this today, but the point is that 
Idols get in the way of us hearing and walking according to God's plan. Would we agree as we're believers in Jesus? Would we agree with that? Idols get in the way of us hearing and walking according to God's plan. Amen. Okay, good. We're all on the same page. And we all have them. We can go around this room and we could talk about all the things that we struggle with and, and they'd be similar and they'd be different, right? Because we, we all have things that we want to elevate in our lives and put our trust in more than we trust in God, all right? And so we could, we could talk about all those things. <sighs> A couple of idols that have popped up recently within the last couple of weeks that the church in general struggles with. See, what happens is when we're put under pressure, things start to be revealed. And even to the world around us, when, when we're put under pressure, when, when our communities are put under pressure and, and different groups respond, and church is a group that responds when we're under pressure, things start to be revealed. And I think that oftentimes our idols start to be revealed, and it's our idols that show instead of the love and grace of Jesus, right? I, I don't know if You'd agree with that or not, but I think that when we're put under pressure, our idols start to show, right? Our idols start to show. The church, the church, I'll talk about, I'm just going to say that the American church is being put under pressure right now. And you say, oh yeah, that's right. They're coming to, to take us away. They're coming to stop our, no, 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 not that kind of pressure. The buildup of some idols in segments of the American church are starting to pop and come and be revealed in the surface right now. And so I'm pulling a Tim Keller when we come and say, hey, we're, we're looking at the scriptures today and hey, we're holding up the newspaper because there's some things that as a church we need to talk about and be aware of about what's going on and how the world sees us. Because what, what, what is the church? It's the body of Christ, right? And Paul tells us, hey, when a finger's effective, when a leg's effective, when a hand's effective, whatever, it affects the whole body, right? And so it's easy, it's easy for us to sit here in this room and say, well, we know there's another church down that way, and we know there's more churches down that way, and hey, they're, they're struggling down there, but it really doesn't affect us because, hey, we're just this church, and we sort of isolate ourselves. But according to how the world sees us, the world actually, I think, sees the bigger picture of the body of Christ and says, no. I'm seeing something rotten over there. What's happening? All right? And they don't, they don't pull apart the full body of Christ like we do and segment into, well, this is Faith Bible Church. And so we don't do that over there. Or they've got their struggles they're dealing with. And No, no, no. The leg's hurting. The body's hurting. There are some things that are happening in our culture and our time that we need to be aware of and deal with. One of them which directly affects the church, folks, and this is, this is, this is tough, because you're gonna, you might sit here and say, Nick, you're, you're going to start just kind of revealing dirty laundry. That's not, not the point of, of, of doing this. It's, this is where we are, and this is what the world is seeing right now, and we need to figure out how we're going to respond to this. Just recently, within this last week, huge report came out on the biggest evangelical denomination in the country. And we say, oh, okay, see, see, we're not part of this denomination. This is not our group. The reality is we're the body of Christ. This is our group. And a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, the evangelical church did a pretty good job of pointing fingers when the Catholic church had some problems 
with some of their priests, doing some things that they shouldn't do, and said, oh man, we're glad we're not over there, right? All of a sudden, it's revealed that, no, it's here. Southern Baptist Convention is going through a hard time right now. And you may say, well, that's, that's again, not us, not us, but we're the body of Christ, and the people in our communities see the body of Christ in its totality. And they don't separate. They, they didn't separate when the, the Catholic Church was having problems. They didn't separate from, from all the different groups. No, no, you, you just guys claim to be the church, right? And so as the body of Christ, we can't be afraid to talk through these things, address some issues, and say, what can we do to make sure we are part of the life-giving body of Christ and nothing is hidden and when something comes to the surface because what's happening now is decades of, of idols taking the place of God are now just blowing up and being revealed in our communities. And it's like God was saying, you know what, we've, been, we've had people talk and you've had people come to you leaders in this group and say, hey, things are happening, this is not right, and there's some abuse going on and there's some destructive stuff going on and, and you're killing relationships and you're, you're destroying souls by these actions leaders and God's saying, hey, man, they were all there. I gave you time. I gave you time to figure this out and to repent and to confess and to make this all right. And when that doesn't happen, it blows up, and we're in the point where it's blown up, and we can't deny it. Idolatry has gotten in the way. There's pride and arrogance, fear of, of man, the idol of the fear of man, uh, even good things that I want too much. Some of the, the stories, the reports coming out, uh, 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 report, the stories coming out of this reporter, it's like people just like, the, the ministry was thriving, it was growing. People were coming into the church. That's why we covered it up. Oof. That stings hard. I, I'll tell you what, reading some of this report, hearing some of the summaries, hearing people talk about this report, cuts to the heart, cuts to my heart. All right? Cuts to my heart because this is not who the church is and it becomes because we listen to the idols of our hearts and actually instead of actually hearing what Jesus says and actually walking in Jesus' steps, it's about power and control taking over. Our power, our control taking over. And guess what? We may sit and say, yep, this is not part of our denomination. This is not part of our group. But these are brothers and sisters in Christ who've spent decades living in hurt and abuse and not knowing where to go because they've gone to the church, they've gone to their leaders, they've gone to their boards and said, this is not right and I've been hurt and I've been wounded and, and this is going on and, well, we think you may have an issue that you need to deal with, is the response. That's not what we are going to worry about because the ministry is growing, so obviously God is blessing us, so maybe you have a heart issue that you need to deal with, and some of these folks have been kicked out of their places. These are brothers and sisters of Christ who are hurting and have been torn apart. It was said in the report that the, 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 the Catholic Church actually came to the Southern Baptist denomination, and, and someone in the leadership said, hey, tell you what, this is what happened with us. This is what happened with us. We don't want anybody else to fall in this pattern. There are things that you can do to make sure this does not happen to you. And the response is, no, no, we, we don't think we can do that. Warnings were given. 
warnings were not heeded from God. And this became a, a pattern of, of uh, a pattern of shaming and continued abuse continued to flow within this group. And again, I, I know some, some wonderful, wonderful Southern Baptist leaders. I know some wonderful Southern Baptist families. This is not to, oh, see, 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 see. This is about, no, no. This is the, what the world is experiencing right now. And how are we bringing life to this situation and not, let, not allowing these idols to capture our heart as well, because this is what, when these idols capture our heart of pride and arrogance, you know, fear of man, fear of looking bad, so you gotta cover things, wanting good things in your ministry too much, this is what happens when it finally just reaches a boiling point and the lid has to come off. Because what happens when you boil a pot of water, put a lid on that thing, boom, it's eventually, it's gonna explode. And this is where we are. And the report is scary and discouraging for the church. Steps were put into place to protect institutions over lives. And that went on for decades. Russell Moore, who I don't know if everybody's familiar with him, he was on the ethics committee for a long time. He had to step away from the Southern Baptist Convention because of some of the things that he saw happening in there and and the way they were going and how they were addressing some cultural issues. And and he he says while he was there, he said, this is a crisis. This, this abuse stuff is a crisis for our organization. That, no, no, it's, not, it's really not. It's, it's not. it's not a crisis, Russell. And he writes back, he gives a response to the report and says, they were right. He was crying out, crisis, crisis, crisis. And he says, they were right. I was wrong to call this abuse in the Southern Baptist Convention a crisis. Crisis is too small a word. He writes, it's an apocalypse on the church. We talk a lot about the apocalypse coming and where we'll be and what Jesus is going to do for us. We don't often talk about the apocalypses that are blowing up right in front of us, right here and right now, in our place, in our position. Lists were made, lists were kept of leaders who were doing unspeakable things within their congregation and all the while telling them that, no, no, we we can't, there's no way for us to report this. There's no way for us to gather this information. Fear was creeping in and their idols were being revealed. And Russell Moore says when he found out all this, his mouth fell open in disbelief. And someone asked him, because he was was part of this committee for a long time. Someone asked him, well, okay, now what do we do with this? What, What can we do with this? The response from a lot of the church, not just from the denomination, but from a lot of the church, okay, what do we do? Give us the three things that we do to fix this. How do you fix decades of abuse and neglect and victimization? Not with three things. Not with three things. We gotta go deeper than that. There there are real heart issues, and we have to realize that this is going to take us a long time. This is, the world is going to see this for a long time. This is going to take us a long time, which means we dig in harder, presenting more grace, presenting more love, presenting more accountability, presenting more options that show, show the world that we are interested in this. I grew up in a time 
When I was younger, I remember uh, I actually went and I got a degree in, in mental health and, and, and counseling. And, and, um, but I remember a time when the church would say, no, 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 that's, we can't get involved in that. That's too cultural. We need to dig into some of that stuff, right? Because there's great healing that's, that needs to be had. We can't neglect. We can't hole up. This is, this is not a time for us as the body of Christ to hole up and circle the wagons and say, okay, we're going to just try to weather this storm. This is a time to get out. What did Jesus say? You hear my words and you go. You obey. What do they do when the Bible talks about idols? God says, man, you take those idols and you crush them and you tear them down and you destroy them. You destroy them because I am the one true God. Idols have been exposed. I think as leaders within this body, we want to talk about, okay, what do we do to make sure that the same kind of things aren't trickling through our ranks and our ministry and we're not holding things too tight looking to okay as long as god's growing this thing it's everything's got to be okay no 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 no. we're dealing with real people right we're all dealing with as real people with real struggles and like i said before we probably all have idols that we could raise our hands and say yep this is the thing i always put before god this is the thing that always gets my ear this is the thing that always gets my eye this is the thing that always gets my attention before i actually hear and listen to the lord that's one thing that's just blown up this past week. It's a long report, 300 pages. I haven't read the whole thing. It's a long report, but it's testimony. It's, it's heartbreaking, heartbreaking to see. And we wonder, we wonder why, we, we've sat, we've, we wonder why, why is the next generation not joining us? Why, why are those families leaving the churches? What is this deconstruction movement that just people are leaving the faith? How can they do that? Obviously, they were wrong. They didn't have the faith of Jesus, but this is the experience. Almost 800 leaders were put on this list of being known abusers within the church. Half of them were listed with the Southern Baptists. The other half from other denominations and other places. So we don't say that, oh, this is just their problem. This is a church problem. And if you think of the leaders over decades being on a list like that and having like 800 of them, how many families are affected? And we wonder why families don't walk through the door. Or we wonder why someone goes out there and we ask them, hey, have you ever been to church? Yes, I have, and I will never go back through those doors again. This is the challenge we're facing. How do we present the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, on one hand, recognizing that there's something else going on over here in the midst of the church? This is our challenge. This is our challenge. The winds and the waves, the demons obey immediately, recognize Jesus' authority, recognize him as Lord. And we get caught up in our idols. We get caught up in our idols. Another thing that has stressed us, and when, I, when I'm going to mention this, I'm going to mention some, some violence. And if I stood up here and I mentioned violence and said, hey, there's, there are millions of, of children being sacrificed, we would, we, would, we would cheer and say, yes, we need to solve that problem. I'm going to mention something here that actually other pastors have had their leader boards come and say, yeah, we think your time is done here. 
after the message. I'm going to step out on a limb here and talk about another idol that the church is facing today that we just need to be aware of. Something happened in a school within the last week, and not just one place, but the grocery store in Buffalo, which is its own horrible story. And the man who did the shooting in Buffalo and, and shot up a, within a, a minority neighborhood put in his manifesto that one of his goals was to go and rid the United States of non-white and non-Christians was written. That's a reflection of what's going on, and as a church, we need to be aware of that. But there was a tragic school shooting that happened this past week, and this is what the world is looking at. This is what the world is seeing, and the world is going to see how the various groups respond to this. All right, this is what I want to go with this, okay? Uh, I'm going to be bold and just outright say that we have an idol of gun culture within America and within actually the evangelical church. I'm going to preface this by saying I own guns. I have guns at my house. I'm not anti-gun. I'm actually pro-Second Amendment. I think it's great. We have freedom to actually protect ourselves and protect our families. But what we see in responses to some of these tragedies reveals the idol that we have developed within our churches over the years, and we need to do better. Saw a bumper sticker recently, said if Jesus had a gun, he'd still be alive today. Does that speak to our faith? Does that speak to what we see in the scriptures? Jesus had weapons amongst his disciples. They brought their swords and at the point of revolution, when they were ready to say, hey, we're being confronted by the Roman army, Jesus is, man, he, they're coming to get him. Jesus, this is when we throw out the fetters, we pull out those swords. Peter did. Peter cut someone's ear off, right? Right there in the garden. This is when the revolution begins. And Jesus said, put it away. Put it away. Right? He wasn't interested in that kind of victory. Jesus knew he was going to lose so that an ultimate victory could be won. Jesus had experience with this. He said, well, he didn't have guns. There's nothing in the Bible about guns. No, no, Jesus had experience about this kind of violence and the attitude that goes along with it. And the disciples were saying, man, here we go. We're going to see a story in a couple of weeks where they walk into a city and the city doesn't respond to Jesus and a couple of the disciples, oh man, is this when we bring the fire down? Is this when we bring the, the Sodom and Gomorrah fire down on top of them because they didn't respond to you? The disciples were caught up in this kind of culture and Jesus says, no, this is the time when we actually beat those swords and plowshares because the kingdom is going to work in a different way. And so... I can't stand here and say this is an anti-message, anti-anti-anti. No, 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 no. I enjoy having the ability to protect my family if need be. Again, I enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy here. But when it comes down to the idol of a culture that is being built and our responses to a situation, I think the church needs to do better. We need to do better. I've seen a lot of posts, and I'm, I'm not here to chastise these posts. I've seen a lot of posts this week about thoughts and prayers. 
And this is our response. This is our politicians' response. This is our church folks' response. And I put posts out there as well, thoughts and prayers to this situation, praying for you. But a world out there that doesn't believe in Jesus, do they care about our prayers? No. What do they care about? Our actions. Because our actions are what reveal our hearts and who we're trusting and who we're hoping in. Putting our trust in and our hope. And now I'm gone way too long on this message. My goodness. God has a grand plan for this world. John 3.16, For God loved the world in this way. He gave. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And Jesus says, you'll be recognized as my family when you hear and you do, when those idols of your heart don't get in the way and stop your actions, right? And so some things have been revealed that the, the, the church has not been living by the authority of God, not been trusting in the authority of God. And some things are being revealed and coming to the surface. And the way we respond is critical. The way we respond to the troubles of this world and what our friends and our families are, are going to is critical. James 4 says this, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is destroy those idols. Destroy those idols. Get rid of those idols. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I'm gonna, I'll, I'll close with this and then we're going to go into communion, this passage here. We often try to think about and place ourselves, okay, what, where, where has God placed us? Who are we in this world, Right? The Bible says that we're ambassadors. It also says that we're aliens in this world. We're not residents of this world. We do not put our trust in this world because we are from a different kingdom now. We've been adopted into a different kingdom. Oftentimes, oftentimes, we, we put ourselves, the position of the church, as the victorious Israel. And I think what the scriptures say is the position of the church is actually of Israel in exile. I think we are the church who's in exile, living in a foreign land, because the scriptures say we're not from this place anymore. And I think we need to respond as if we are a people in exile. And God actually tells his people how to respond. In Jeremiah, he gave Jeremiah a word. Jeremiah was a prophet, and, and Jeremiah's supposed to give him a word that, hey, Babylon's going to come take you over. You are truly going to be in exile. You're going to be in a, living in a land of your enemies. To go be exiled to a different land is to mean that your enemies came and conquered you, took you over, took all your rights, and that's where you are. And this is what uh, the Lord says to his people. When you go into exile, build your houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Find wives for yourselves. Have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters to men in marriage so that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. Keep on living. 
Keep on living. I don't see anywhere in there who says, hey, what you do is you actually go and you, you stockpile the weapons you can find and you, you, you do all this to try to conquer and, and take over and, and, and rid yourselves of this oppression. Verse 7 says, pursue the well-being of the city that I've deported you to. These are exiles. These may, no power, no standing, no position unless they invited you in. I think this is the position of the church and the world we live in. Pursue the well-being of the city I have deported you to. Pray to the Lord on its behalf, for when it thrives, you will thrive. And they're living amongst their enemies. Do they want their enemies to thrive? No. And God says, pray for them. Pray that it goes well within your city. Work out so that you're living in this place and you're not just looking out for your own interests, and you're not just, consider, just considering your own national security, but you're looking out for the people who are sitting here and here and here, who are in the marketplace, who are at the place that you go and work now, and they're all your enemies because you are the ones who are in exile and live at peace with them. Pursue the well-being of the city, and that may mean giving up some of what we want for the good of other people and taking a position of sacrifice. When Jesus says, hear and do, hear and go, obey me, the idols get in the way. We need to tear them down. There's some things that are being revealed in our country right now where idols of the church just popped up, popped up, and they're being revealed, and we need to be mindful of our response do we really hope and trust in Jesus Christ? Or do we hope and trust in other things? Even good things too much. Even good things. An idol can even be something that's very, very good, but we just fixate and put our trust in that instead of putting our trust in Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion now. And we're reminded that as we live the Christian life, it changes everything. As we follow Jesus, it changes everything. Through Jesus, his death on the cross and his resurrection, we are victorious, but not in the ways of this world. We're, we're free to live in him without the, the weight of the past bogging us down, bearing down on us, without the chains that, 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 that we've been shackled with, without those you know, holding us down because he has given us a better life. We are dead to our sins. We are dead to the idols that we have created because of the power of Jesus. And we are heirs to Christ and children of the living God, putting our hope in that. And the cross has changed everything. Peter writes this. This is what it looks to live what it looks to, like to live in the kingdom and be God's people. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with goodness, goodness with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with endurance, endurance with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being useless or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ." cross has changed everything for us. The way we live, the way we interact with one another, the way we deal with stresses and problems in this world, 
the way we can get rid of those things that stand in the way of a relationship with God, the cross has changed everything. Hey, Dean, I failed to get a cup. I'll grab one of those, thank you. We're going to take communion together and we're going to recognize the broken body of Christ, what it took for his body so that he, would be, he could be the savior of our world, taking on the, the sin, the crushing of sin upon his body so that we wouldn't have to live and experience that ourselves. We thank you, Jesus, that you were willing to even step into the cross, have those nails driven into your hands and feet, bear the weight of the sin of the world on your shoulders. This is something that we deserved and you removed from our path. We thank you for that and we come in unity praising you, praising you for what you have done for us. Let's take and eat in remembrance of Christ's body. In the same way that he took the, the burden of sin on his shoulder, he washed sin away by his shedding of, of blood on the cross. We deserve the death, we deserve the shame, we deserve the guilt, we deserved all of that. But Christ said, I'm going to shed my blood to, to wash over this people and to cleanse them of all unrighteousness. And Jesus, we thank you for that. We thank you that through your blood, we have new life. We've had the ultimate transfusion. We couldn't do it on our own. We needed a savior to step into our place and we thank you, Jesus, for what you have done for us. And today, as a body, we come together and we recognize his shed blood and what that means for us. And we take this and, and drink together in remembrance of him. I kind of scratched the surface a little bit during the sermon. I'm hoping that these are the kind of topics that we can take back to our small groups, back to our more intimate conversations and actually have dialogue on how do we help and assist our communities. These are the, the things that are going on in our communities and the church is, is here to be a help and assistance and show the light of Jesus. And I'm hoping that, because we can't solve the problems here in this little, this well, too extended of a message. But we can go back and we can talk as brothers and sisters and say, what do we do? Where do we move? Where do we go? Who do we talk to? How do we join the conversation and make sure that we're not holed up saying, this is mine, this is mine, this is what I get, this is what I deserve, eh. and the world thinks the rest of it doesn't matter. That's, I think, the challenge for us today. In what ways can we as a body serve those who are in most need in our communities? Well, let's finish up, close up, and, and spend